From beautiful downtown Milheim, in the smack dab center of the Keystone State, this is Lou Bryson with Seen Through a Glass, the podcast that's mostly about drinking in central Pennsylvania. Welcome to Episode 9, A Walk in the Woods, Pennsylvania Maple Syrup. First, though, a quick note. This is Episode 9, but counting the pilot episode, it's actually the 10th episode of the show. It's a significant landmark, and we're definitely growing, thanks to you telling your friends about Seen Through a Glass. Keep it up! I knew we'd have to do this episode as soon as I took that first sip of Nomad Distilling's tapped maple-flavored whiskey back in the Williamsport episode. That rich Wellsboro dark amber color, the luscious flavor of maple, I knew it had to happen. But really, maple syrup's been part of my life here in central Pennsylvania since before we even fully moved in. Back in 2019, we were up at the Milheim Farmer's Market, and there was a raffle going on. Well, sure, we got a ticket or five. Didn't even really check what the prizes were. We were just excited to be part of the community. And the next thing I knew, we got a call at home. We'd won a half gallon of Pennsylvania maple syrup from McNeil's Orchard and Sugarbush over in Reebersburg. I picked it up at Elk Creek Cafe that night, and there's still some of it in the fridge, which is fine. Maple syrup is pretty much completely stable at fridge temperatures, just one of its many attractive qualities. The main one, of course, is that delicious, incomparable, singular flavor. My mother, who's 91, tells me about rationing during World War II when she was about 12, and she promised herself that when the war was over, she was going to have a crisp, hot waffle and fill every pocket with butter, and pour maple syrup all over it, and eat it all just by myself. I get that. I want that every time I have a waffle. So we're going to have some waffles, and we'll have drinks, of course, a cocktail and a beer, both made with maple syrup. We're going to go to a sugar shack up in Tioga County with a quick stop at the classic Wellsboro Diner for pancakes, and check out a sugar bush in Union County. But first, here's what I'm drinking today. Hey, maple syrup's all well and good, but St. Patrick's Day is coming up too. So I'm having a Guinness Extra Stout. That's not the draft Guinness, that stuff that hisses and foams and tastes all creamy. This is old school, the stuff we used to drink 30 years ago, before all that widget tech came along. So take a step back with me and remember. I remember the first time I had a Guinness Stout. It was a bottle of this Extra Stout, and I thought... Hey, look at me. I'm drinking Guinness like the real guys. And I took one sip. I made that face. I took another and I poured it down the drain. You know, I I grew. I didn't like feta cheese the first time I had it either. So here's the extra stout. It is, well, you know, you say that it's dark brown. This stuff is black and you cannot see through it. I'm holding it right up to a light. Can't see through it. Still has some really nice kind of dark parchment colored foam on it that's held up pretty well and remember this is just a, a bottle of guinness carbon dioxide no nitro no fizzy bubbles i mean i can smell it coming right out of out of the top of the glass it really does smell pretty similar to the uh to the draft guinness it's got that same little bit of burnt grain kind of coffee smell to it mm. not as creamy as the nitro, maybe even a little bit thinner uh, because of that, probably. But boy, the flavor's right there. Mm, that is quenching. See, that's the beautiful thing about stout. A, a dry Irish stout doesn't coat your mouth. 
it it actually cleans it up with a little bit of acidity, a little bit of burnt grain bitterness. It's a drink that goes really well with nothing, to be honest. Um, I mean, with nothing at all, you can just have the drink and it's, you know, people say Guinness is a meal because they think it's thick and heavy. It's not. It's a meal because it's really flavorful. It's actually a fairly light beer. It's only about 4.2%, but it also goes quite well with food. It goes really well, of course, with corned beef and cabbage, which I'm going to be trying out on the day of. Pretty good beer. Holds up pretty well. I like this stuff. Cheers. I'll have some Irish pub recommendations for you at the end of the show, but let's get back to maple syrup. Like most of us, I had a vague idea of where maple syrup came from. I realized that some of it was gathered from a dimly remembered Donald Duck comic book story, Maple Syrup Time where Donald and his sons were working taps in the trees, dripping into buckets, while their rich Uncle Scrooge had a contraption with collection tubes running to a central tank pulled by a pump. And I guess some old movies from school about boiling sap in a shack out in snow-covered woods, pouring hot syrup on the snow, and laughing children eating the cold maple candy like it was the best day of their life. Well, turns out that's not really that far off, though it is a bit more complicated. Tapping season in Pennsylvania usually starts in mid-February, as winter starts to moderate a bit and the sap starts to run. Maple sugaring takes place mostly in a swath that runs along the Appalachians, from Potter and Tioga counties in the north, southward through Union and Center counties, and winding up in Somerset County, which produces more than any other county in the state. If that seems a little ass backwards, remember that's where the altitude is highest in the state, the famous Laurel Highlands that give us ski resorts like Seven Springs, and the water that created Rolling Rock beer. Syrup producers need cold nights and more moderate daytime temperatures. Today is about perfect, with a high of 43 and going down to the mid-20s overnight. The difference in temperature pulls water from the ground and then pushes sugary sap down out of the branches. It's a complicated process involving alternating carbon dioxide pressure and then vacuum inside the tree, but the sugar makers don't have to understand exactly why it works, just how to get that sap out. Dennis Snook, who runs the Patty Mountain Sugar Shack in the west end of Union County, near Millmont, showed me how that works. His trees are red maples, the only other tree that yields maple syrup beside the sugar maple. We walk to some trees that are tapped right behind his evaporator. The taps are plastic and go about two inches into a fairly tight-fitting hole drilled into the tree. He pulled one out to show me, a pretty simple, hollow, plastic tube tapered to fit, and then put it back in, giving it a wrap with a handy rock. A tube runs from the tap down to a collection tube that ran from other trees, and then into the nearby sap tank. More tubes ran from other trees, off into the distance, maybe 70 yards away, where there were two vertical tubes. A sap ladder, Dennis called it, reminded me of a lock in a canal. See, Dennis's situation is that the land with his trees slopes away from his house and the sugar shack. That's why a vacuum pump is used, pulling the sap up the hill. The sap ladders give the sap a six-foot lift in one shot, and then allow it to run downhill from there. They're a relatively new innovation, only about 20 years old, developed in Canada, where most maple technology comes from. That's how the sap gets to the shack. Then it usually goes through a reverse osmosis filter that removes up to 60% of the water with only the power it takes to run the small pump. That really cuts down on the amount of fuel it then takes to boil the sap down to syrup. Maple sap is about 2% sugar. Maple syrup is about 67% sugar. 
With that far to go, the RO filters are a big head start. The evaporator is more than just a big kettle or pot. You don't want to overcook the sap, so the evaporator has a set of channels and flues to get heat to a fairly shallow flow of sap, maybe two inches deep. As it works its way through this maze of metal plates and troughs, the water boils off in the clouds of steam that flow from a sugar shack. It takes hours to run a tank, but the idea is to have a continuous flow so no hot spots develop. Eventually, the hot syrup winds up in a collection tank. Then it has to be graded, cleaned, and packaged. And yes, it takes about 40 gallons of sap to make one gallon of syrup, but even that can vary. Red maples have a lower concentration of sugar, so you need more of their sap. Some years, sugar maples may yield as high as 5% sugar. How much sap a tree produces in a season can vary from 6 up to 20 gallons, depending on where it grows, rainfall, and just plain luck. Some years, if there's a drought, you might not get much sap at all. But being tapped doesn't hurt the tree if it's done right. Some trees have been tapped and producing for generations. I checked in with the Potter Tioga Maple Producers Association to learn more about maple syrup, and they put me in touch with their president, Dale Miller, who runs Miller's Purely Maple, northeast of Wellsboro. Rejoice, people! He told me that most of their members are reporting record amounts of sap collection this year, and exceptional quality. I asked him about the maple syrup grading system. You older people like me may remember getting grade B dark amber syrup and maybe thinking, grade B? This stuff tastes great. Dale said the grade B category has been eliminated because it did give the idea that the syrup was inferior. It's not. It's just darker and bolder in flavor. The new grades of syrup, adopted by the USDA in 2016, are golden, amber, dark robust, and very dark. Your waffle syrup is probably golden or amber. Dark robust is used for cooking or cocktails where stronger maple flavor is desired, and the very dark is used for candies or as a molasses substitute. Almost all maple syrup is consumed as syrup, and that's the flavor I wanted to set in my mind before I went off sugar shacking. So Kathy and I took a quick trip over to the original Waffle Shop West in State College. I was packing a 50 milliliter bottle of pure Pennsylvania maple in my pocket. Can I take your order? Our waitress asked. Uh, yeah, I'll have the Belgian waffle, no fruit, no bacon, and, um, the maple syrup here. Is that real maple or maple flavored? I'll have to check, she said. Well, she did, and it was indeed table syrup. Mostly corn syrup, just maple flavored. They had blueberry and cinnamon flavored syrups, too. The waffle came, and I buttered it and split it, pouring the table syrup on the left side and the real stuff on the right. The maple was darker and poured a little bit thicker, but the flavor difference was clearly in the real stuff's favor. They were both sweet, they both tasted good, but the real maple syrup was richer, with a greater depth of flavor. There was more going on there, and it complemented the butter better. It was simply yummy. Er. I ran into the same thing at the Wellsboro Diner, where I stopped for pancakes when I went up to Tioga County. The diner is a classic Sterling railcar diner built in 1938 and beautifully preserved. I sat at the counter and watched my pancakes made four feet in front of me, chatting with the cook as we did. But no maple syrup, which, honestly, right in the heart of maple syrup territory, kind of shocked me. Pretty good pancakes, although the burgers smelled and looked so good I almost changed my mind about the whole pancake experiment. I'll have to stop by again. But look, did I feel cheated that these places didn't offer real maple syrup? 
Not really. Have you priced maple syrup lately? For comparison, table syrup at the State College Wegmans is currently priced around 10 cents an ounce. A similarly sized bottle of pure maple syrup is priced at about 60 cents an ounce. That's pretty pricey for something most people expect to be essentially free to pour all over their waffles, maybe so lavishly that they leave a pool on the plate when they're done. Why is maple syrup so expensive? Three things. Scarcity, labor, and energy. It can only be produced in a limited range of northern North America, from two types of tree. It's almost impossible to automate it more than it already is. People have to go around and knock thousands of taps into thousands of trees by hand and walk the miles of lines and then watch the evaporator because every run is a little different. Kind of reminded me of making whiskey. There's a lot of hand labor there, too. And essentially, it's the distillation of a natural product, which is energy-intensive. A lot of evaporators run on wood, but you still have to cut it, split it, and haul it, or pay someone else to. Dale Miller was a little bitter about the lack of support from the state, and I'll quote him here because I agree. In Vermont, the state promotes the maple industry to the point where a restaurant that doesn't use pure maple syrup will probably not make it. Getting restaurants in Pennsylvania to use maple syrup, even with an upcharge, is tough. I blame that on our state government as they do not recognize our industry. Now, I'm not going to do a bunch of calls to action on Seen Through a Glass, but if you run a diner and you serve breakfast, please consider offering real Pennsylvania maple syrup as an option. And if you go out for waffles, ask your server for real maple syrup. Anyway, I promised you a visit to a sugar shack. I visited Rachel Courtney at her Sugar Mama's Appalachian Maple Shack outside Wellsboro. Here's that interview, recorded on my handheld, right beside her wood-fired evaporator. You can practically feel the heat. I'm still with Rachel Courtney at Sugar Mama's. Well, how long have you been doing this? I think I've been saying five years now for at least two years. So it's five or six (laughs) years. Right? I should, in commercial production, (laughs) I have at least five years under my belt. Okay. Which is, um, I'm a first generation maple producer. There's a lot of producers around me that they're four generations, sometimes more. So it's really neat. Um, they, they had the opportunity to be, taught how to do this process by their parents or grandparents Uh or great-grandparents even. Um, And I've just been doing a lot of trial and error for some of this. Uh, But there's a lot of great resources out there. Like I mentioned, Proctor and Cornell. Cornell's been great. I went to a maple boot camp and met maple legend Stephen Childs there. So he... He has a lot of YouTube videos on how to make a, a homemade reverse osmosis wow. machine. Wow. So, okay. <laughs> um, Aaron Whitman has now taken over uh, that maple program up there at Cornell, but they are a great resource, and I do a lot of reading. I like to read the Maple News. It's a newspaper okay. literally called the Maple wow. News. Um, so, yeah, a lot of trial and error um, on, on this business venture, but it's been fun. And, you know, we continue to grow. Yeah, I got to say, nobody seems to be unhappy. No, it's a, like I said, it's a labor of love. You do it because you like it. There's yeah. my husband's like, I he hates it. You know, <laughs> he does not want to go out there and tap trees. Um, he likes the maple syrup and, you know, sure, we all he do. likes <laughs> the taste of it. He, you know, some people like the yeah. process and making it and it's not for everybody, but I sure love it. One of the things I wanted to ask, climate. 
Has that changed mapling? So actually, what do you call it? Mapling, sugaring. Maple. Yep, all of the above. Okay. Where all of the above works. So we are at the mercy of Mother Nature. We don't get any more than what she lets us mm. get. We have a short window in which we can produce maple syrup. It's typically four to six weeks long. This year, it's coming hot and heavy and early. So. February to March is the typical sugaring season, and it can vary depending what region of the U.S. or Canada that you're in. And I should mention that uh, maple is unique to eastern Canada and northeastern United States. Okay. So it's it's a maple belt in a specific region. So it it starts and ends differently in each place, but basically it's the same across the board that we typically get the four to six week window. Okay. Now I mentioned we have to have that natural vacuum and part of that uh, comes from the weather. We need freezing nights and thawing days okay. to create that natural vacuum. So it's, it's about 63 out there today. Is that good or bad? So this week has been exceptionally warm to say the least <laughs> yes. for February. Let's be honest here. So it is a little nerve wracking um, that the weather is so warm. Uh, once the trees start to bud, our season is pretty well over at that point because the sap gets an off flavor and oh. what we call buddy. And that's okay. because the buds are out in the tree and it just gets a-, a I wondered how, how uh, you knew when it was done. Yeah, it okay. gets a different flavor to it. Wow, this really is like distilling. That's amazing. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a really neat process. And I think that's why so many people are infatuated once they start making the syrup because there's so many things that go into making syrup, the science behind it. And we're- it's an evolving industry. We're still learning a lot about the the process and, you know, the on a molecular level, what is happening there. And back to the weather. And then I want to bring up to you about the different grades of syrup. What creates the sugar in a tree comes from photosynthesis. Mm -hmm. So one of the things like Cornell University and Proctor, I believe they're in Vermont, are looking at is year long, how do these weather patterns affect our maple season? So some years uh, we get a lot of a lot of rainfall. Some years it's we get a drought. So you would think like those years that you're getting heavy rainfall, you would get more sap but maybe the sap would be diluted because it's there's more water involved, whereas maybe a drought year you'd get less sap but a higher concentration of sugar. Now, so that's, that's what they're trying to figure out right now. And right now I can't give you an exact answer. It's okay. just these are things that, you know, scientists are literally doing it. studies on this. Do, do you have good years and bad years for, for volume? Yes. Okay. Yes, and yet again, that all plays on mother nature what okay. she gives us for for weather yeah um last year we had a long maple season but we didn't have many boiling days so the weather oh. it started you know early and it went late but we didn't have a lot of days that we could actually boil it was either way too hot kind of uh, like today oh, it okay. stayed it stayed warm for an extended period of time and the the sap will start to slow down because um, it needs the cold nights yep okay so um, and the and the, the the cold night warm day that's 
to push that vacuum? Is yes, that... that's what's creating okay. that natural vacuum. Oh, and so oh, okay. once your once your weather is staying above freezing at night and it's real warm during the day, your trees are going to start budding yeah. and you know get leaves on right. them. So it's you time. know we need we need the cold and the warm both. They got to work together. So I was saying about the leaves on the tree or the photosynthesis that's happening is creating that sugar, the energy for the tree. Uh, so a maple tree with a larger crown on it, typically the ones you see in your yard or a fence row that aren't competing with other vegetation in the woods, typically will give you a higher sugar count. Oh. They have a larger crown on them. They have more leaves. They're creating more energy. Sure. So that just plays into that whole year of, you know, if we got a lot of rain that year, there wasn't also a lot of sunshine at that point right. because it was cloud covered. So it's just interesting how huh. the weather patterns do do affect our season, and they do. So the, the light and dark grades, or light and dark colors, or grades, or that whole thing. Yes. <laughs> so the grades get confusing uh, for people that aren't familiar with maple syrup. They think maple syrup's all the same uh but pure maple syrup not like the aunt jemima or a log right, cabin right. pure maple syrup has four different grades grade a uh golden grade a amber grade a dark and oh. grade a very dark okay so the difference there is the lighter syrups have a more delicate maple flavor the darker the syrup the more prominent and robust or strong tasting maple flavor it's gonna have do i remember that changed there used to be grade b yes yes so and all it was was color yeah well, it has to not do, just color but flavor so yeah. the grading of syrup has to do with a couple different things it's not just the color of it uh, the clarity and the taste that that all goes into into grading it mm -hmm. we use a refractometer to get our grade this is a refractometer okay. here. Yep. Um, but I use this little Hannah. Where do I have? Over here. We call it a little Hannah oh, okay. grater kit. So <laughs> we'll put a vial of syrup in there, okay. press the button, and it will cast light through there. Uh -huh. uh, so the light admittance will give you a, a number and... We oh, that's have a made table. just for maple syrup, isn't it? Yes, yep. So now all I'm going to do is find my... Oh, there. I just want to get I a can picture turn it on for you, actually. Let's go like this. And what I'll have to do is I take this vial of glycerin oh. to zero it out to make sure we get an accurate rating. And it'll tell me, go ahead and put your syrup vial in. Let's see. I don't know. So 60. <laughs> yep, and that one would be an amber. Oh, so okay. anything um, fifty to seventy-four, you get a number for will be uh -huh. amber. Anything above that's golden. Okay. So our dark, robust syrups gonna have a reading of twenty-five to forty-nine, yep. and our very dark is anything below twenty-five. Okay. So what we can talk about. What do we use light syrup for versus dark syrup? What um, what's, what's that, the difference? Is what's it... that boil down to oh, literally? Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> light, lighter <laughs> syrup is typically what we make our maple confections out of, like the maple cream, the candy, the sugared nuts, the confections. Uh-huh. And what why we don't use the dark syrup for that has to do with the invert sugar. 
So this is where we get real scientific again. Yeah. And some of the things I'm not real good with the invert okay. sugar. But anybody who's diabetic will know what invert sugar is. And you can actually use a, a diabetic, the, the tester kit, to find the invert sugar of maple syrup. So the invert sugar plays into how... The syrup will crystallize okay. and and form those harder confections that you'll take to a higher temperature. The darker syrup is good for uh, baking because it has more of a robust flavor to it. Okay, doesn't so get lost on the on a scale of flavor for other um, thing ingredients, say like garlic or pepper, they have a stronger flavor. So maple can tend to get lost. When you're cooking with it. So if, if you use a very dark or dark syrup, you'll get more of the maple flavor okay. in whatever it is you're cooking or baking, uh-huh. basically. Or making cocktails. Exactly. Maple Manhattans. <laughs> Find yourself a Maple Manhattan recipe. <laughs> yeah, we have a, a Maple Weekend. Our, oh, okay. Our association hosts a Maple Weekend the third weekend of every March. Okay. So this year it falls uh, March 18th and 19th. Okay. So you can come to the 21 different locations that are participants. We have a map on our Facebook page. I'll put that link in. Um, and you can download our brochure from it and make your way around Potter and Tioga counties, visiting different sugaring operations. We all make maple syrup, but you'll be surprised at how each location differs just a little bit and how they, they do it. So it's a very interesting thing. Kid-friendly. Here at our location, Saturday, we'll have some vendors Live music. Oh, wow. The hatchet house will be here, so we'll have some hatchet thrown. We like to make a party of it on <laughs> okay. Saturday. But um, education is the main focus of that event. Uh, we will have a reenactment with Granny Roo um, of how the Native Americans discovered maple oh. sap, how they introduced it to the colonists, and how they industrialized the maple okay. production. So, um, yep, we'll have that stories for the kids, take you through the sugar house, give you a tour, lots of samples. You can buy product, obviously. So there's a lot going on, and it, it's a good time. Okay. Well, it definitely uh, gives me incentive to get the episode up in time. That's right. So. And pancakes all day. Okay. <laughs> we have pancakes all day here. So. Oh. so it's not just pancakes, but pancakes are pretty good. That's correct. Okay. Yeah, we'll actually have, we have a farm to fork food trailer actually. And so you'll be able to get a lot of maple themed lunch items on there. Uh, a lot of them will include maple mustard and maple barbecue sauce. So very good. There'll be some good burgers. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. Definitely appreciate it. And that was a lot of fun. You can stop by Sugar Mamas on the 19th annual Potter Tioga Maple Weekend, which is coming up soon, March 18th and 19th. You can download a brochure at pamaple.com. You can visit open houses at over 20 maple farms with a variety of maple-infused goodies, pancakes, sausages, maple cotton candy, and maple milkshakes. Go see how it's done for yourself. March 18th and 19th, pamaple.com. There's another maple event the following weekend. Shavers Creek Environmental Center in Petersburg, south of State College, has a maple harvest festival and an all-you-can-eat pancake breakfast 
on March 25th and 26th, but you have to get tickets online at shaverscreek.org ahead of time. Pancakes, maple syrup, two locally made sausage patties, plus maple tapping, wildlife programs, and live music. Shaverscreek.org. Both of these are very much family-friendly events, so take a chance to learn more about Pennsylvania maple syrup. I did have two maple syrup drinks to add to the show. First, I stopped at Robin Hood Brewing, just outside of Belfont, to try their massive squatching around Imperial Stout. This was a batch that they'd aged 24 months in a big spring spirits whiskey barrel, and then conditioned on coffee beans and dosed with dark, robust Vermont syrup. Came out at 12%. To be honest, it sounded like a hot mess, and I approached it with some trepidation. But it was awesome! The nose luxuriates with coffee and maple, and some cocoa notes. Maple floods the mouth, but is flavor, not a heavy syrup. The body's good, the 12% alcohol is present but not pushy, and the barrel, in a miracle after 24 months, doesn't overwhelm. Frankly, this was a beer that made me reconsider Robin Hood Brewing, which I'd always considered just okay before, though their food's always been quite good. I'll have to stop by more often, maybe to get more of this. It should be on through the end of March, and there might be some bottles, too. Now, a place I've been wanting to get to since it opened was the source of the second drink, a cocktail. I was advised to try the Jordan Special at Anti-Fragile Brewing in State College. Anti-Fragile is small and nimble, making small batches of a changing lineup of beers, as well as brewing kombucha in-house, in a separate facility. But they also have an array of Pennsylvania spirits, and the Jordan Special blends Wiggles Wapsie Valley bourbon with lime juice and maple syrup. You can choose to have it that way, or add club soda for a highballish long drink, which is what I did. I'm a big fan of the highball. The bourbon and lime juice dominate things at first, but then the maple smooths and surrounds the finish, taking you right into the next sip. I love that maple is a grace note to the drink, rather than the centerpiece. And the beers at Antifragile were pretty damn good as well. Hey, maple syrup's great, but if your out and about this month is focused more on traditional music and the consumption of stout, whiskey, and corned beef and cabbage, I've got you covered there, too. Here's some suggested places to get your Irish on in central Pennsylvania. Harrisburg? It's got to be McGrath's Pub, a favorite stop that's known good beer for years and years. I met my good friend and colleague Tara Nuren there when we were both covering PLCB hearings at the Capitol. If you prefer something a little on the divier side, there's Shady McGrady's. Or just do both. It's a long day. One place everyone agreed on was the Gary Owen Pub at Gettysburg, which I remembered from my Pennsylvania Brewery's research trips. Again, great place year-round, but really comes into its own on St. Patrick's Day. If you're adamant for the craft beer experience, Sealands Grove Brewing will tap a firkin of their Snake Drive Stout at 2 p.m. on the 17th. There's also Otto's Pub's Black Mo Stout, which is great year-round, but again, perfect on the day. And if you're in State College and you feel like mingling with the vast student body, the place to go, of course, is first, and good luck to you, boyo. It's easy enough to recommend the Moon and Raven in Williamsport. We were just there. But Johnstown's Irish fans were about evenly split between Woolley's Neighborhood Celtic Pub and Murphy's, and I'm not yet ready to argue with them. Better do both. If you're up and about early in the Altoona area, Sean Nicole's in Hollidaysburg has an eggs and kegs breakfast on St. Patrick's Day and Saturday. And speaking of Saturday, 
The Coney in Indiana, Pennsylvania, keeps the fun going with a parade, with Irish bagpipes, on Saturday the 18th, starting at the pub at 11 a.m. Me? Myself? I'll maybe go to that firkin tapping at Sealands Grove, and then I'll be tasting some Irish whiskeys with my local whiskey club. Maybe we'll do an episode about that sometime. Slanja! Well, that's the show. Thanks to Rachel Courtney for the interview, to Dale Miller for the maple syrup information, and to Dennis Snook for the educational walk in the woods. My thanks to all the good folks on Facebook who recommended their favorite spots for St. Patrick's Day. You know who you are. You can find pictures of some of these places on Instagram at Stag Podcast and on Facebook at Seen Through a Glass, where you'll find pictures and links and ways to contact me. Stag is now available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Please subscribe to get notice of new episodes, and if you like the show, please take a moment and drop a rating or a review. I also have a coffee button set up in my Instagram link tree, so you can drop me a few bucks to help pay for tips for bartenders, gas for the Subaru, and the occasional beer. Thanks a lot. You can always message me directly on social media to let me know what you liked on an episode, what could be improved, and what Central Pennsylvania drinks and food producers you'd like to hear from. There are invisible goats in the room with me right now. The next episode is still a bit up in the air, but it's looking likely that it's going to be a visit to Lockhaven, Pennsylvania, with another of the OG Beer Bar interviews. See you then. See you there. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this is Lou Bryson on Scene Through a Glass from the smack dab center of the Keystone State. Thank you.